Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, that's another one of the weird things about COVID. When you say good morning, no one can like say it back to you. Uh, I hope that the people at home watching online are maybe um, saying good morning to their TV, because that would make me feel like, hey, there are people watching. That's great. Uh, my name is Julie. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm one of the pastors here at Resurrection City. And I do want to give a special welcome to any of you who are watching online. If you had the uh, privilege of getting away this Labor Day weekend, you have a cabin or a camper or something that you're out at, uh, hey, thanks for tuning in. We're glad that you're worshiping with us here this morning. And thanks to all of you for being here. Um, we're the people clearly who don't have cabins because we're not somewhere on Labor Day weekend. Uh, but we're really glad that you're here and worshiping with us this morning. So I have a question for you. Uh, how many of you took up gardening this year because of COVID? Or, hey, here we go, we've got a few. Or maybe you've been gardening, but you kind of added to your garden, or you took it a little more seriously this year because you had the time. If you're online, you should uh, put in the comments, let me know what you're growing this year, because I'd love to hear that. Uh, for me, I was excited. I spent way more time. Usually I like get really excited initially and I put some work into it and then I kind of get lazy about it and the weeds take over and I'm not great about it. But this year I was committed. I stuck to it a little bit more uh, and I got some great tomatoes out of it this year, which I have never done tomatoes before. So I was really excited, very proud of my tomato plant. It's still, uh, still going strong. But I feel like gardening is one of those COVID things, right? Like um, making sourdough bread. Anybody try that one? That was a big trend for a while. Uh, home improvement projects. That's another big one I hear a lot about. Got a couple of those going on. Uh, but if you did recently become a gardener, it actually might help you out this morning a little bit because the passage that we're looking at uh, is Jesus is going to use an agricultural metaphor, which I feel like most of the time those kind of go right over our heads because we're not, we don't grow up uh, in that world. But maybe if you gardened this uh, summer, it'll help you out a little bit. So today we are going to look at John 15, 1 through 17. And if you actually look at the last few verses of the previous chapter, uh, you see that this, this passage we're looking at today is sort of like Jesus's Minnesota goodbye, because in the, in the last verse of chapter 16, he says, okay, let's go, come now, let us leave. And then he's like, hold on, one more thing. And this, this thing is really important. And he kind of goes on this long uh, explanation of what he wants the disciples to know. So I'm going to read this passage to you uh, as Jesus's long Minnesota goodbye. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in the name of the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. So you see right away, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He's like, let's kick off this metaphor. And for us, we're like, okay, fingers crossed. I hope my new gardening skills help me understand this. Uh, But for the disciples, this would have had immediately clicked for them. It would have immediately brought them to something that they would have been very familiar with hearing about. Because in the Old Testament, they used this agricultural metaphor of vineyards and vines all the time. And it was always talking about Israel, or just God's people, right? When I say Israel, that's what I'm referring to, and their relationship with God himself. And they would have known that this vineyard metaphor is used all throughout the Old Testament. And I put together a list of where it's all used so you can kind of see uh, there's a lot of places. It's used often. It would have really like rang true immediately for the disciples to know, okay, here's what we're talking about. I can jump in. I know exactly where we are. And that the disciples knew that this wasn't necessarily a super positive reference for the people of God. Uh, And because we may not have the Old Testament quite as seared into our memory as they did, I thought I'd read uh, one of the passages that really talks about this vineyard metaphor in the Old Testament. So I'm going to read Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. If you want to follow along on your phone or in your Bible, you can. Otherwise, just listen closely to my words. Uh, Okay, so Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. This is God talking. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its well, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. It just tells us, right? That's kind of nice. And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So like I said, verse 7 kind of gives us this key to understanding this metaphor. And because I am a visual learner, I put it together in a chart for us, right? So we've got the gardener is God. He's the one talking about how he planted this vineyard. He was like tending for it, did all these great things for it. And the vine is the people of God. It's Israel and Judah, the people that um, are supposed to be following him and worshiping him. And the fruit is bad, right? He says he looks for fruit and he didn't find any good grapes. They were all bad. And the result of that is judgment, right? He said, I'm going to destroy this vineyard because it's not uh, doing what I set out for it to do. So when the disciples start hearing Jesus talk about the vineyard, this is not like a, oh yes, vineyard metaphors, right? This is like God's people have failed, 
right? God's people have not worshipped him. They have not followed him, and the result has been judgment. It has not been a good thing. So a story of a vineyard always meant a story of God's judgment on people who failed to worship him or follow him. But as you heard when Jesus read the passage, or when uh, Jesus is talking in this passage, that's not exactly what he says, right? In some ways, he rewrites this metaphor. He's saying, this is what it used to be, but I'm going to rewrite it, and I'm going to center it around myself. So again, visual learner. So I made us another chart. Uh, This is just helpful for me, right, to be able to see kind of the differences laid out together. So you see that it starts out the same, right? God is still the gardener. That part's remains constant. But then after that, you see this change, right? Instead of the vine being Israel, Jesus says, I am the vine. It's going to be me. And then after that, there's a change. It does not stay the same, right? Now, with Jesus being the vine, now the fruit is good. And instead of judgment, there's actually joy that is given, right? There's this huge change in how the metaphor is presented. So how does that work, right? What's the difference? And in the Old Testament, like I said, the reason the vineyard doesn't produce good fruit is because the people are not following God. They're not worshiping him. Their actions, their lifestyles are not reflecting the worship of God. Uh, If you look back at verse 7, at the end he says, he looked for justice, which is something that would happen if you're following God, but saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. And in other places, like all that, those verses I listed of all the other places where they talk about the vineyard, the vine is described as turning against God. It's described as being corrupt, unfaithful, rebellious, having deceitful hearts. It's never described in a positive light. But Jesus, he came to earth, lived the full life of worship of God, right? He was honest. He was faithful. He was obedient. He didn't have any deceit in his heart. He came and lived the life that Israel was always supposed to live, but never could. He lived the life that nobody could live on their own, no one past or present. And then he died in Israel's place and took the judgment and the punishment on himself so that he could bring joy. So you'll notice on the chart that there's actually no mention of Israel or God's people in the second, in the John 15, right? It's only Jesus. And if you're in the details, you might also notice that in John, Jesus makes a distinction between the vine and the branches, whereas the Old Testament, it's just kind of all referred to as one. And to be honest with you, I have not learned enough about gardening yet to really understand what part is the vine and what is the branches. I was thinking about it this week as I was looking at like a squash plant, and I was like, I I still can't understand which part is the vine and what's the branch. Is it just the little like stick thing that kind of comes off the top? I don't know. Anyways, we can't, there's not a distinction in this passage. Uh, And the reason is, is because we're united with Jesus, right? So in this chart that I made, we don't need a spot for us because it's not actually about us. It's about Jesus and what he has done. And when we're united with him, we can be a part of that good fruit and of that joy that comes through it. It's only through our union with him, through our belief in him, that we can do anything, right? Verse 4 says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So Jesus straight up tells them, he's like, look, I'm rewriting this metaphor so that there's going to be good fruit and joy instead of judgment, but the only way that's going to happen is through me. There's nothing you can do to rewrite this story because you're just as broken as every other person who's come before you, right? You're just as broken as Israel. You're just as broken as anyone that's going to come after. 
The only person who can rewrite this metaphor is Jesus, and he centers it around himself. And when we do that, when we uh, remain in him and try to uh, stop producing fruit on our own and remain in him, then that's when we can see that change. There's a quote I read this week uh, by Leslie Newbigin, just a, a scholar, that says, the fruit is not an artifact of the disciples. It is the fruit of the vine. It is the life of Jesus himself reproduced in the life of the disciples in the midst of the life of the world. The presence of fruit is the visible evidence of the fact that the branch is part of the vine. So I just love that idea. It's not an artifact of ourselves. It's not an artifact of me. It's not an artifact of you. It's an artifact of the vine, right? We call it fruit of the vine. It's Jesus working in us that allows us to produce good fruit. So the million-dollar question that you kind of come to whenever you read this passage is, what does it look like to remain, right? Jesus says, remain in me, and this will all happen. And we're like, cool, yes, I want to do that. But what do I do, right? How do I do this? How do I practically remain in Jesus? Now, some translations might say abide. You might be familiar with that version, abide in me and I in you. Uh, But another definition of this Greek word is to continue to be present or to be receptive. And I like this because we know that when we believe in Jesus, we're unified with him, and without him, we can do nothing. So what Jesus is really asking the disciples and us to do is to stay there, (laughs) right? Don't move. Continue to be present with God. Remain open. Remain receptive. So I want you to think for a second how would you describe a receptive person, right? If you're like, I want this person to be receptive to what I'm saying, how would you describe that? What do you think of when you think about that? I think of someone who's open, who's a good listener, who's maybe not distracted, they're not looking at their phones, they're not uh, rushing around and thinking about the next thing that they have to do. There's someone who's open to hearing things, even if it's maybe something that they're not super excited to hear, right? We often talk about people being receptive to things that we're, you know, not maybe excited to tell them about. And I think that's how God wants us to be with him, right? He wants us to be open and to be present, not to be distracted, not to be rushing around, but to be open to what he has to say and to be present with him in moments. So that's our first application point. Oops. Uh, is just to be present with and be receptive to God. So a quick story is that one of the women in our community groups, she likes to do um, this word of the year thing, right? Every year she picks a word, and that word kind of helps her think about what she wants for the year, right? Like what kind of goals she wants to have, how she wants to see herself in that year, what things she wants God to do in her life, how she's going to kind of um, approach the things in the year ahead. And so this year she invited all of uh, the women in our community group to participate with her and to kind of uh, do this project that she does where we pick a word and then we can kind of check in with one another. And to be honest, I haven't been great about the check-in process, so uh, Laura, here is my official check-in in sermon form. But I picked the word abide for this year because 2019 was a super busy year with getting the church started and everything else, and I felt like this year I really wanted to take the time to um, just to abide in Christ more. I wanted to rely less on myself and more on God. And to be totally honest with you, when I started out the year, A, I did not know what 2020 would all hold, Uh, no one did, and B, 
I really didn't know, like, what am I going to do to make that happen? How am I going to, like, put structures in place? What goals am I going to have to be, uh, to abide more in Christ? And the thing I learned, or have been learning, is that no matter how many structures I put in place, no, no matter how much accountability I have or plans or goals I have about how I'm going to spend time with Christ, it honestly doesn't matter if I'm not open and receptive and present in those moments. I can check all the boxes, I can read all of the scripture, I can do all of the devotionals, I can pray all the time, but if I am not present and receptive to God in those moments, it doesn't create the same kind of connection with God. It's not abiding. It's me trying to produce fruit on my own. And so I think really what I'm learning is so much of it is about that willingness to put all the distractions aside and to be present with God in that moment. And the thing is, we can be present with God in a lot of different ways. There's no one-size-fits-all. There's no formula. If I do A and B, then the result is C. It, it's, there are things maybe that are outside the bounds of what it looks like to be present with God. But within those bounds, there's actually a lot of different ways you can do it. You can and should use scripture in some way, right? But you can study it. You can memorize it, you can meditate on it, you can pray through it, you can sing it in worship music that has really, uh, has its roots in the truth of the Bible. You can and should pray, but you can do that in a lot of different ways too. You can freestyle it and pray spontaneously, you can pray prayers from the Bible, you can pray the same prayer over and over, sometimes that's called like a breath prayer if you're kind of just in that moment and doing that. It's a way to meditate and pray. You can use the Lord's Prayer, you can pray the Psalms, you can confess, you can praise, you can lament. There's so many different ways that we can do this. You can add in other things like silence, fasting, practicing the Sabbath, worship, through music or journaling. There's so many different options. And if you're like, oh, I didn't even know that was all out there or I don't know where to start with this, um, we did for our, our virtual spring retreat that we kind of said, do on your own because we knew everyone was sick of Zoom at that point in quarantine. Uh, we ha- put together a list and have some steps in that. So if you're interested in that, uh, fill out a connection card on the website, send me an email, and I'll make sure you get a copy of that. But I, I want to make sure that we don't feel so stuck or tied to one thing. Because I feel like what often happens is we find a method of abiding or being present with God uh, that we connect with right away when we first become believers, right? Maybe in college, you were like hardcore studying the Bible. You had your, you know, commentaries and you were taking notes and you had all this time to really dig into the scripture in that way. And it was great for you, right? You grew a ton. You really felt like you were connecting with God. But then life changed. Maybe you got a different job and graduated. Maybe you have kids. Maybe you're married. Maybe you have a lot of other things going on. And you you find that studying or doing that is not really working the same way that it used to. And I think what we do then is we say, well, I just don't know. I'm not, I don't feel connected to God. This isn't working. Maybe I just need to try harder at this thing. But when we think about other relationships we have with people, we don't do that, right? Uh, If you've been married for longer than a year, you know that at different points in marriage, you connect with your spouse in different ways, right? It's not always going to look the same. The dates you went on when you were dating are not going to look the same as the dates you go on after you have kids, right? Like there are different seasons in that relationship and you adjust to make sure that you're still connecting with that person. 
I think the same goes with friends too, right? If you've ever had a friend that you lived with that you were super close with and it was great and then you moved into different places or maybe you moved across the state, uh, maybe one of you got married and things changed, you realize, okay, now I have to find a different way to connect with this person because I'm not just interacting with them in daily life. So we do this with other relationships, but I think we forget that we also have to do this with our relationship with God. We need to be intentional about finding different methods to connect with him in the different seasons of life that we're in. And there may be times where these methods of being present with God feel more or less natural for us, but that's okay. Don't give up. Be intentional about trying something new. Now, some of you may be asking, what if I've tried all of that and it's still not working? No matter how much I try to be receptive to God, it feels like he's still really far away and I don't know what to do about it. And on one hand, I want to encourage you, sometimes that happens. And sometimes I think God is um, actually calling us to seek him more by feeling far away. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but I think sometimes God does that so that we turn and seek him more, right? We see that in the Psalms. If you read some of the Psalms, you hear the cries for God to be close. And I think sometimes we need to lean into that. And yet other times, I think it has more to do with us, if I'm being really honest. And I know that that's hard to hear, but I know that that's true of my life. Sometimes it has more to do with our receptivity to God, our willingness to be present with him, our willingness to make time for him, and to be intentional about how we approach that relationship. And Jesus tells us in this passage that the vine is always life-giving, right? Whether or not you choose to abide in it, it's still giving life to anybody who is there, anybody who is uh, present with it. So whether or not we're producing fruit is never the fault of the vine, right? The vine is not the problem. Uh, It usually has more to do with our receptivity to God and our choices about being present with him. And I think one thing that often gets in our way of being receptive to God is that we make our time with God all about ourselves, right? When we finish spending time with God, doing our devotional, whatever, we immediately ask, okay, what did I get out of that? Was it worth my time, right? Was it uh, the return on investment? Was it worth it? Did Did I get my monies out of this time that I spent? But Jesus reminds us in this passage that being receptive to God is actually not about us. It's about him. It's about him and his glory and his mission that he has in the world that we are being a part of. So the second application point I want us to consider is just that being present with God has a higher purpose, It's not just about us. It's not just about feeling good or having that good start to your day with your coffee and your Bible and the like perfect Instagram picture that you can take with it, right? We're invited to be a part of something way bigger than us, way bigger than anything we get out of time with God. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't still get something out of it, right? Like that's the great part. God has created it in such a way that it does still give us joy. It gives us comfort. It gives us peace to spend time with him. But that's not all it's about. There is a bigger picture here. We're being invited to be a part of God's mission by being receptive to him and ultimately by bearing fruit. In verses 15 and 16, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in the name of the Father, in my name, the Father will give you. So Jesus doesn't call us servants. He calls us friends. 
And we aren't just drafted into some mission and not given a choice about what we're told to do and not really knowing what's going on in the higher levels who are making decisions. We are invited to be a part of the mission and to know what's going on, right? Jesus says, everything I have known from the Father, I have made known to you. I have been calling you a friend. I am inviting you. I've made you a part of the plan, a part of the mission. And we see this in other places in scripture too where that word, where God calls someone a friend. So back in the Old Testament, one of the main characters, the founding father of Israel, uh, Abraham, is referred to as God's friend in multiple places throughout scripture. And God also calls him out of his old life. He chooses him. He appoints him to be a part of God's mission to bless all people on earth, right? It's a lot of similar language, right? A chosen, appointed, that you might go and bear fruit or go and be a blessing, So some of you may have noticed that the subtitle of this sermon series uh, is called The Room Where It Happened. And if you have ever seen the musical Hamilton, then you know that this is a reference to that. So uh, if you haven't seen it, go get yourself a free trial of Disney Plus and watch it because I think it's, if, if it's still on there, because it is worth your time. It is so good, I'm telling you. Uh, and so The Room Where It Happened is a song in the musical. If you don't know anything about Hamilton, it's sort of about like, well, it's about a lot of things, but it's sort of about the founding of America, uh, told through like the lens of the story of Alexander Hamilton. And there's one song called The Room Where It Happens, uh, and some of the lyrics, they're kind of singing or rapping about how the financial system in the U.S. got decided, how they decided what it was going to look like and, and how it would work. And the lyrics say, No one really knows how the game is played, the art of the trade, how the sausage gets made. We just assume that it happens, but no one else is in the room where it happens. But as believers, we are in the room where it happens. I'm telling you, Jesus lets us in on the whole plan. We don't have to have any question about it. We are part of the mission, the big idea, the big purpose. And we're not just in, in the room listening and, and you know, watching from afar, but we're a part of it. We're a part of making it happen. So if you want to live for something that's greater than yourself, you want to have a cause to support or to care about, you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself, this is it. This is the best cause out there. This is the best mission you can be a part of, the highest purpose that you could want to be a part of. And Jesus has not only invited you to do it, but let you into the room. He's given you the big picture of how it's supposed to happen. And we see that this is all about making God's name known, to see God glorified by seeing people accept him as Lord and Savior and to live for him. And we get to be a big part of that in how we live and how we love others and in helping people join the mission. So sharing the good news of Jesus' love with others is inviting them into the room where it happens, right? Inviting them to be a part of this greater purpose, to be a part of this cause that we have. And here's where being receptive to God comes in and being present with him comes in. Because as the passage tells us, the mission is to love others as God has loved us. But here's the thing. We're only going to be able to do that if we're, in, if we're spending time in God's presence, in his love, filling up the, that in ourselves so that we can give that love to other people. You can't give something away that you don't have yourself. And the fruit that we're talking about, the fruit of this mission is love, loving others, and not just loving others who are like us or who are, we're comfortable with or who are uh, already in the room, but people who are outside of it, 
part of this love, part of this fruit that Jesus is talking about is witness, right? In our, both in our actions and in our words. It's converts, honestly. It's more people coming to know Jesus and being a part of the mission, coming into the family of God. And so we're only going to want to do this if we're spending time in God's presence first, right? If we're experiencing God's love, if we know what that's like and have a, a desire to share it with other people. We're only going to know how and when to share and how and when to love other people as God has loved us if we're receptive to the Spirit's leading. And to do that, we need to be present. We need to be receptive to what God is saying. And here's the great thing. The result is joy, right? It's joy for us and for other people. The result of the bad fruit in the Old Testament was judgment, but here it's joy, for you personally and for other people as you share it with them. And I've got to tell you, there's nothing like the joy of seeing someone else be set free from sin, from realizing that they can trust in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. There's nothing like seeing other people grow in their understanding of who God is. It brings joy to them and it brings joy to us. Isn't it cool how God's created that? He hasn't just created it so that you have to go out and you're just working and you, it's just all about you know, helping other people do this, but he's created it so that we get joy from that too. There's this, uh, instead of having judgment abound all over the people of God, we get joy all around. So as we wrap up, I want to just kind of remind us that in this metaphor, right, Jesus becomes the vine that the people of God could never be, right? The people that we could never be on our own. He becomes that. He dies on our behalf so that we can be united to him through belief in him. And then we're called to remain in him, right? He says, you've already been made clean. This isn't about like proving yourself to me in any way, but it's about staying where I've put you. I've brought you close to me. I've brought you here. Now remain there. Abide. Stay. <laughs> be present. Be receptive to me and the life that I am giving you through this vine. And then through that, we're meant to go and share it with others, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves because we are in the room where it happens. And as we head into this, we're going to do a reflection question and a song of worship. And as we head into that, I want you to think about something that I've heard over COVID that really kind of uh, was kind of convicting, I'll be honest. So it's the idea that crisis accelerates. So when somehow when you hit something in crisis, uh, it makes anything that was kind of already trending upwards, it makes that go faster. Or something that was maybe already trending downwards, it makes that happen faster. And we've seen this in the world, right? If you just think about it, you think about businesses that have closed because maybe they weren't doing great and then COVID happened and man, that just was too much, right? Or maybe your employer was like on the fence about working from home or remote working and they were like, mm, maybe one day a week or you know, maybe sometimes. And then COVID happened and realized like, oh, we can do this all the time, right? And so now they're like, yeah, work from home. You can work from home indefinitely, right? So you see that crisis accelerates these things. Um, maybe if you were already struggling in your marriage, COVID probably has put more strain on that and that's probably like accelerated that decline, right? Or maybe you had a great, you have a relationship that's doing really well and COVID maybe helped that grow even more. So you sort of see it just kind of pushes you further or faster in the direction you're already going. So here's the convicting part that I want you to think about. If this principle is true, what does that mean for your receptivity to God? Has the crisis of COVID made you more receptive to God? Or has it made you more reliant on yourself? 
Have you spent more time in God's presence seeking him? Or has it just made you less willing to spend that time and to, to find that distraction-free place that you could spend time with him? And I ask this because I think it's a helpful uh, indicator for us of where we've been at recently, right? You know, I think in normal life, as things move on and things go fast, the world is fast-paced, our lives are busy, we can kind of be like, yeah, I'm doing okay in this area, right? I, I, I do my devotions, or, or I spend some time with God. I, I remember to pray once in a while. Uh, but I think that this crisis really kind of helps uh, illuminate where we're at in our hearts with that, right? Are we really spending time with God because we crave his presence? We want to remain with him and abide in him? Or are we doing it more as like a, yeah, this is a box I check and I'm kind of moving through it? Because I think COVID's going to show you that. So the question I want you to consider as we move into this uh, time of reflection is, how can I be more receptive to or present with God? And if you feel like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good with that, right? Like, I have a, a pretty good practice of being receptive to God, and I feel like, you know, COVID hasn't made that worse. It's actually made it better. One thing I want you to consider then is, are you seeing the fruit of that in your life? And I don't just mean the fruit for you personally, but are you seeing it making you more loving to other people? Is it making you uh, have a desire to witness to other people? I'm not going to say, are you converting people? Because that's God's uh, decision, not ours, right? We don't get to make decisions about who believes in Jesus and when. That's something that God does in people's hearts. But I do think that it should result in us wanting to see that for other people, praying for other people, witnessing to them in those things. So if you aren't seeing that fruit, I would just encourage you to, to ask God, how can I be more receptive to your leading in this area? So I'm going to pray for us, and the worship team's going to come uh, back up, and then we will uh, have some time to reflect on those questions. Uh, Lord, we praise you that Jesus has made it possible for us to be present with you, that through him you have given us uh, an option to be in your presence, even though we don't deserve it, because Jesus has made us clean, he has made us new, and he has worked in our lives. We confess that we often try to do this on our own, Right? We, we try to muscle our way through remaining in you and abiding and uh, showing love to others and being a part of that mission. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to rely fully on you, to be fully present, to be receptive to your leading and what you're doing in our lives, not only for our own sake, uh, but for your mission uh, to love others in this world. In your name we pray. Amen.